distance from God in our hearts? Isn't it also easy to pretend on the outside that all is well with the Lord? We are masters of pretending that our hearts are where they ought to be with God. Jesus is warning all of us against hypocrisy in our hearts. We, we need to be sure that we are uh, what we claim to be as we pass through this life. Beware, he says, of the leaven of the Pharisee. Beware of hypocrisy. Now, on the other hand, what is the leaven of Herod? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, in Matthew's account of these same events, Jesus calls it the leaven of the Sadducees. The Pharisees were <clears throat> the religious conservatives. On the other hand, the Sadducees were the religious liberals. They were worldly and secular, and they joined forces with King Herod in compromising with the Romans. These people, both the Sadducees and the followers of Herod, are often called Herodians. That the leaven that infiltrated their lives and teaching was materialism, worldliness, and compromise with the world. Do you see that Jesus does not only address one extreme and leaves another extreme? Right? He addresses the extreme of legalism and hypocrisy, and he also addresses the, the extreme of, of liberalism. Jesus calls us to, to walk in his grace, to, to walk uh, in, in such a way that our lives are a demonstration that we have truly been saved. He, he doesn't call us to, to, to urge our own ways. He doesn't call us to uh, make up our own rules. He calls us to look to him and to walk with him and to take our cue from him. Jesus is warning um, his men not to get caught up in the quest for, for more of the world's goods or more of the world's favor. The only uh, uh, thing, uh, you know, when, when we become friends with the world, what we are doing, we are making ourselves enemies with God, James chapter 4, verse 4. The Lord's will then and now is that his people be separate from the world. We are to live, as First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 tells us, as strangers and aliens in this world. In other words, we are to live as foreigners in this world. A foreigner doesn't feel comfortable oftentimes in, their con in, in, in a country, not their own. So that's the picture that Jesus um, calls us to. We are to live as strangers and aliens in this world, as those who are passing by, as those who have a home, right? Our, our, our IDs in this world, our citizenship in this world is not permanent. There will come a time when your ID is stamped deceased. That time will come might be today when you leave this place. It might be tomorrow. It might be 10 years from now. But it will come. The world that is our home and that is truly our home is the world in heaven. And God was not ashamed to be called our God because he prepared a home 
for us. You see, when, when, when soldiers are in battle, and they are there for months upon months, and they are experiencing the extreme heat, the extreme heat of the day, uh, of the scorching sun, and they are extreme, the, experiencing the extreme cold of the, of, the, of the night, and they experience the uh, pressure and depression that comes with being in battle and seeing dead bodies, they uh, start to, to have this uh, sickness that was coined, uh, back then in, in, in World War I, uh, they, they, they start to have nostalgia. They, they start to be nostalgic. And, and as they are nostalgic, they, they, they become, uh, what do you call, paralyzed and they can't do anything because they just smelled something that reminded them of home where there's peace and joy and laughter in the family. They just heard something that reminded them of a conversation that they had over tea and, and biscuits and now they have a gun in their hand and they are seeing blood and dead bones. As believers, brothers and sisters, we have this spiritual nostalgia where we are walking in this world but we know this is not home. We know. You, you walk in this world, you experience sin, you experience hardship, you experience conflict, and you know this is not home. As Jim Reeves sings, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. The heavens beckon me from death's open door. And I can feel at home in this world anymore. Jesus calls his disciples to live in this world as strangers and aliens. Not partaking of this world's sins or not being caught up in the desire for more of what this world has to offer. As far as sin is concerned, we are commanded to be a separate people. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 17, therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. As far as material things are concerned, we are to seek our treasure in heaven and not in this world. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust uh, 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 destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But, uh, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, brothers and sisters, there your heart will be also. Jesus is simply telling his people, regardless of the age in which they live, beware of hypocrisy, worldliness, and compromise. He tells us that if we allow just a little of those things to exist in our lives, they will infiltrate every area of our life. Just like yeast infiltrates um, an entire lump of dough, it is a simple command for the people of the Lord to be clean, holy, and different. And by the way, the, the, the Lord hasn't changed his mind about this matter. He hasn't, uh, you know, uh, revised uh, his, his, his ideas. He hasn't revised his commands. He still expects his people to live different. Now, look at uh, verse 
16. We saw the Lord's command. Verse 16, the disciples' confusion. The disciples hear the Lord's warning and they immediately misunderstand what he's trying to say. Their minds are so confused on the material, physical world that they cannot see the spiritual side of everything. They hear the Lord's word and immediately they start to figure it out. They try to figure it out. Uh, Here are some possibilities of what they might have uh, thought um, the Lord was saying. First, they're thinking, is he rebuking us because we didn't bring any bread? Secondly, they're probably saying, is he telling us not to buy bread from the Pharisees or the Herodians? Thirdly, is Jesus saying that we should have no fellowship with the Pharisees and Herodians? Well, of course, none of the above is, is the correct answer. Jesus isn't talking about real bread at all. He merely is merely using the live and found in bread as, as a metaphor, as a symbol of evil. They are, too, they are so thick-headed that they can't grasp what the Lord is trying to tell them. And let's not be too hard on these uh, men. There are a lot of times when we are also spiritual airheads, right, as well, where we are thick-headed spiritually. The Lord will try to get us to understand this truth that we, we, we just keep on failing together, meaning that's why we aren't any further along than we are right now. That that's why we continue to struggle with the flesh like we do. That's why we don't enjoy the victory like we could. Uh, we, we are thick-headed, and we often miss the spiritual truth that is all around us. We are so quick to dismiss what we see and hear without ever realizing that God is trying to grow us, to teach us, and to develop us for his glory. Let's take a church service, for example. We always come in and do the very same things. We pray at the start, the choir sings, we receive an offering, someone preaches, and we all go home. It's the same formula Sunday after Sunday, right? We are not reinventing the wheel in a way. We're doing the same thing. We have become so accustomed to the routine of doing the church thing that we fail to even consider God or, or, or even Have you ever stopped? I thought the rapture was happening. Uh, have you ever stopped <laughs> to think that just the privilege of having, uh, uh, the, the privilege of going to church is a spiritual blessing? Have you ever thought about that? When you go to church, you are enjoying a privilege that many people around the world have never and will never have. We pray for, for churches Sunday after Sunday who desire above all to gather with the saints and not have someone budging with a gun. They, they, they desire to sing as loud as, as possible, to lift their voices in joy, but they don't have that. To make a holy and joyful noise to the Lord, they don't. That is their one desire. Have you ever thought how much a privilege it is to be here? 
how much a privilege it is to gather with the saints. Have you stopped to think that when you get to go to a church like CBC, that you are especially blessed? Think about it. God has been good to this church. We have what people everywhere are looking for. We have it, but we fail to recognize it for the blessing that it is. We take it for granted. I wouldn't do that if I were you. When we take the blessing of God for granted, he has a way of removing those things uh, from our lives and giving them to others that will appreciate those things and who will be thankful for the one who, who gave them. <clears throat> Have you ever stopped to think that every message you hear is an encounter with eternity? I, I, I tell my students when I'm, I'm, I'm lecturing on preaching that one of the great privileges of preaching is that you are involved in a miracle. You are not performing the miracle. You are involved in the miracle in the sense that as you preach, God is working in the hearts of his people. He is lifting darkness off of people. He is uh, drawing those who do not know him to him. He is giving hope to those who are feeling hopeless. He is uh, restoring joy to those who have lost all joy. He is bringing life to those who are lingering and are feeling like they don't have life. You are involved in the miracle, even in sharing the word of God. Have you ever thought of that privilege of sitting under the preaching of God's word. Have you ever stopped to consider that every song and every service is an opportunity to offer praises to the king, to make a joyful noise to the Lord? We, we may sing the same songs and do the same things, but we are privileged to be here. Some may think, oh no, not another, not that song again. <laughs> not that song again. It doesn't matter if we have sung it a thousand times. Look at the words, offer them up to God. A, a hymn of praise to God and love for Jesus and he will make it real in your heart. Are you still with me? Consider for a moment other areas of your life. Have you ever stopped to consider that the trials and valleys you face might just be the hand of God working in your life? Have you ever thought that the truth that God is intimately involved in your life that which, uh, and that, that which you see as routine, accidental or coincidental is really him at work? All I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is that we need to learn to see beyond the obvious and look for the unseen hand of God working in and around us. The disciples never seemed to get it. They were so confused on the, um, and, and focused on the material world that they failed to see the spiritual work of God in their midst. Even in Acts 1, after Jesus, has, uh, after Jesus has, has risen from the dead, they are asking if the kingdom is coming now. And in their minds, the kingdom is, is really defeating the Romans and being the ones who sit on the thrones. They still don't get it. We need to pray that God will help us look beyond the material to see the spiritual. We need his help to grow beyond our spiritual blindness. We saw in verse 16 the 
disciples' confusion. Now, verse 17 to verse 21, we see the Lord's challenge now. Verse 17 to verse 21. Remember, Jesus started out trying to warn them about the evils of the Pharisees and the Herodians. They totally missed the message and are focused on physical bread. In a sense, they are no different than the Pharisees that rejected Jesus in verse 11. That the Pharisees saw what Jesus could and they refused to believe. The disciples were with Jesus when he performed many of his miracles and they even saw him multiply minuscule amounts of bread and feed multitudes. They still couldn't understand that he could take care of them. They, they, they were worried about bread to eat when they had one loaf. They didn't know that Jesus could take that one loaf and feed them all. They didn't understand. They didn't. Now, it's one thing for unbelievers like the Pharisees to fail to see and believe. It's another. It's another thing altogether when those who claim to know and love the Lord fail to see his power and believe him for their needs. When Jesus senses their thoughts, he asks them a series of questions in verse 17 to 20. They are, these questions are designed to awaken faith in their hearts. These questions are designed to cause them to remember what the Lord has done. These questions are designed to remind them of what the Lord can do as well. Let's take a look at um, those questions for a moment. Jesus says, why are you discussing the, the, that, the fact that you don't have bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And he continues to ask them these questions in verse 18. And he says, have, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves of the uh, 5,000? How many basket loaves of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And seven of the 5,000, how many basket loaves of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? Jesus questions them about their memories. Oftentimes we forget very quick, especially when a trial, you know, knocks on the doorstep. But it doesn't knock. Trial doesn't knock. It budges. It kicks the doors, right? When it comes, we completely forget. It's like we are, we are being trained for a boxing match for months and months and months, and you get into the boxing room, I mean the boxing uh, ring, and then all of a sudden, you don't know how to throw a punch. You don't know how to block a punch. And you are just being pummeled. We easily forget. And the moment we forget, we start to question God. We start to disbelieve God. We start to, uh, you know, uh, show a lack of faith in God. Jesus asked them specifically how many baskets of fragments were left over in, in two feeding miracles. The answer that they, they gave is 12 for the first and 7 for the second. And our last point is to get them to see who they are dealing with. The object of faith, brothers and sisters, is not so much the, your ability to pray up a storm. 
right? It is the who you're praying to. It is God. He shows them who they are dealing with. And, and, and this is what God is, what, what Jesus keeps doing, right? And, and what, what Mark has pains to, to, to do, what Mark is concerned with us to see, what they were missing, who Jesus is. The Pharisees had seen uh, uh, his miracles, yet they had seen, uh, what they had seen were not enough to convince them of his true identity. Apparently the same is true of his disciples. They had seen enough to convince the hardest of hearts that they refused to believe what they saw. They failed to understand that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. Their eyes must be opened to see the Son of God. This unbelief among his men must have been frustrating right, to the Lord. Especially when you look at verse 1, verse 21. Uh, but their failure to fully appreciate and trust him has been handed down to you and me. Isn't it true that we are just like those men? The Lord has done so much for us, but when the next crisis of faith arrives, we react in fear instead of faith. We need to do what the Lord was trying to get these men to do. We need to take the time to reflect on what he has done, on what he has done, and remember his power in our lives. When I remember what the Lord has done, I will never go back anymore. When Israel came out of the wilderness and entered into Canaan, they set up a memorial of 12 stones in the river Jordan in Joshua chapter 4 at Gilgal. God had parted the river for them and allowed them to cross on dry ground. Before the water came together, each tribe placed a stone in the river. When the river closed back in, the stones could be seen. They served as a memorial. They were a reminder of the great power of God in our lives. We need some memorials of his power as well, don't you think? Stop and think about all the mountains he has moved in your lives. Set up a memorial. Stop and think when God answered your prayers and set up a memorial. God, stop and think about all the answered prayers, the peace of God, the sense of his presence, the times when he blessed you for no apparent reason and set up a memorial. Stop and think about when we were here together, worried about the future, anxious, about where the church is going. And God answered in ways we never expected. Set up a memorial. Stop and reflect and remember. Then realize that if he can do these great things and many more besides, there is nothing in your life that he cannot handle. Remember what the Lord has done in your life and for the, 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 and, and, and in, in your life, when you remember what the Lord has done in your life, this is the first step um, toward a real revival and genuine spiritual re renewal in your life. You see, what Jesus is really trying to teach his disciples isn't, that, uh, isn't the fact that um, it's about bread or, or whatever. It's about that what matters is who he is. Everything in your spiritual life comes down to who you know and who walks with you. If he is in your boat, you don't have to worry about where the bread will come from. 
He will take you little and make a lot out of it. If you are a child of God today, the best you can do is, ever is to learn to trust him wholly without reservation and he will never fail you. Of course, if you aren't saved, you don't know the Lord, then you need to come to know him today and get that matter settled. Jesus doesn't want us to live our lives focused on earthly matters like bread, but that is often the case, right? He wants us to understand that the lack of bread is not our real problem. Our real problem is what we do not see, hear, and think about the things of God. Our real problem is a serious lack of faith. Do you not yet understand? The heart is the issue. When you go through a trial and the first step, the first thing that you do is disbelieve in God's power, do you not yet understand? When God has saved you out of darkness and the first thing that you do is run back to darkness, do you not yet understand? When God has brought us peace, reconciled us to him and reconciled us to one another and you are bringing conflict in uh, among God's people, do you not yet understand? You not yet understand, brothers and sisters, when you are in a taxi and you are sitting next to someone who does not know God and you leave them to themselves. Do you not yet understand, brothers and sisters, when you are in your community and they don't know about the God you say has saved you and has brought you joy? Do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? We will, as we continue reading, Notice that the only time, the only time there's an acknowledgement of who Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark does not come from a Jew. Well, uh, besides what Peter says, it comes from a man who crucified our Lord. He, he comes to the point of truly understanding. And he says, surely this was the Son of God. May God bring that to our hearts as well, to see the Son of God. Let's pray. Oftentimes, Lord, we find ourselves doubting you, not holding on to your promises thinking that you might have done what you did in the past, but now it might be a different story. Help us, Lord, not to hold to those stupid thoughts. Help us to truly understand who we have and who is walking with us. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.